What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. This week's episode is being released on the 13th of December, and therefore only two weeks until the Christmas holidays begin. So looking forward to uh, putting my feet up, I can tell you. But before we get there, I have a couple of, you know, I'm going to have to map out my 2022. How am I going to have the most effective and uh, and sort of impactful 2022. That's something that I'm working on. And one of the areas that I think you guys would benefit from is improving your ability to make presentations and to get your point across and to find your voice, so to speak. So this week, I am speaking with a good Italian friend of mine, Mr. Andre Pacini. Now, Andre specializes in this exact area. He specializes in how to give really, really professional and impactful presentations. Now, you might be wondering, Gavin, how does this relate to real estate investment? And if you're looking at it from a very direct standpoint, then, you know, I guess you could say it does not. But remember, this podcast, it's all about your mindset. And I think a good mindset is one in where you do not judge so quickly. You don't jump to conclusions. And one of the things that I have found in the last few years is that presentation skills and communication skills are one of the most important skills that you can acquire. Why is that, you might ask? Well, primarily because if you have the ability to give a good presentation, you can capture the attention of your audience. And in doing so, you go a long way to persuading them to go along with or agree with whatever it is you're presenting them about. So let's use the example of you're going to go and meet an investor about this great opportunity you have, you know, real estate opportunity, you want them to go and back you on a project or whatever it might be, and you give them a top-notch presentation. You go all the way, you really kind of convince them, bang, straight away, they're on board, they're fully committed, and they feel very confident in your capabilities. Now, on the other hand, this same great opportunity that you have if you present that poorly or if you communicate that badly and you just don't get your point across you don't come across as confident all of this kind of area you might find that they just pass on that opportunity not because of the opportunity but simply because of the way it was presented to them and therefore this is one of the reasons I think that presentation skills are really, really valuable. And I, I, I'm sure some of you will, who have been listening to the podcast will be aware. I joined Toastmasters about three years ago. In fact, I just passed the three-year anniversary quite recently. And it's enormously helpful in this area. A lot of people think Toastmasters is all about you know learning to become a public speaker. And that is not at all. I mean, there's that is part of it, but the journey to you know, the Toastmasters journey brings you along with how to present, how to communicate, how to get your point across, how to find your voice, how to get confident in presenting. All of this stuff you learn from that, and it's been super, super helpful for me. And in fact, I would not have started this podcast had it not been for Toastmasters. So, if anyone would like to learn any of these skills, please do reach out to me if you're interested in Toastmasters. But with that said, let us get into my conversation today with my friend Andrea Pacini, who is all about giving fantastic presentations. (music) 
You are listening to Behind the Facade, and I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. All right, Andrea Pacini, tell me, how are you today? Good to see you. Very good. Good to see you too, Gavin. It's great to catch up after a couple of years. Now, that accent, of course, to our listeners today, that is an Italian accent, but you're not living in Italy. You are based in the UK. Is that right? Yes, I'm in the UK. I'm in London, but you're right. I'm Italian. I moved to the UK about 10 years ago. Okay, great stuff. Well, we're going to get into all of that today. And just for the purpose of the guys that are listening for the first time, what do you specialize in, Andrea? Public speaking and presentation skills. So it's all around all things presentation skills. Okay. And tell us just, I mean, an Italian man living in London, there's got to be a story that brought you here. Can you take us a little bit through your journey to bring us up to today? Yes. So a couple of things in terms of being Italian and moving to the UK, I've, I've always been fascinated by the... I don't know if I can call it the English way of doing things, living and working. My very first experience, Gavin, was actually in Ireland, where where you are. As a student, I spent one year in Sligo, uh, which is a small town in the West West. Coast. Yeah, I know it well. My family are from Sligo originally. (laughs) Oh, wow. And that's why I really learned English. And and so I've always been fascinated by the UK and Ireland, let's say the English, the English world. And that's why after university, I decided to start my professional career abroad. And in terms of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing as a presentation coach is because many years ago, Gavin, when I was in Italy, still in Italy, a university, I came across a book that changed my life, which is Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds. And that book opened my eyes to what it really means to create and deliver powerful presentations. And it also made me understand that most business presentations suck. And so I started my journey to trying to become the best presenter I could be. And then at some point I said, I could actually help others now improve their presentation skills. And that's what I did. And just so you know, Gavin, the the very first thing I did, I remember, was to start a blog, Echo Presentations. And I was super passionate about it. Every week, I would publish a new article. And I I thought it was great. But I think in a couple of years, maybe two people read my articles (laughs) in, in total. And one was my wife. So it wasn't really making a difference. But to cut it short, I didn't give up. And eventually... That blog became a company, which is now Ideas on Stage UK. And just to give our listeners an idea, in the last 11 years at Ideas on Stage, we've been working with thousands of clients from small business owners and professionals to companies like Microsoft, Lacoste, the World Bank. We've been coaching more than 500 TEDx speakers so far. And that allowed me to combine my passion for good presentations with another passion I have, which is doing good through business. I believe, Gavin, that business can and should be a force for good in the world. And that's why today I often work with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and their teams who want to grow the business, increase the influence, make an impact through representing. 
and that's, that's it. Well, that's a great introduction, uh, as I would expect. Very good presentation. And uh, I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to have a great conversation along this line is, you know, a lot of people listen to this podcast are property investors. They're looking for property advice. Um, but one of the reasons I thought it would be a very useful information is that people often don't realize the importance of, you know, good presentation skills. If you're going to sit down with investors, if you're going to sit down with a bank, if you're going to sit down with planning, you know, authorities, anything like that, it's so important that you come across as a professional, competent speaker. I mean, a lot of people kind of hate the idea and they bristle at the idea of, you know, doing public speaking. But when you are actually presenting to a group of people that you don't know, you are effectively public speaking. And you may not like to kind of think about it like that, like in the same way as people standing on a stage, but the skill of presenting your ideas and your thoughts and getting across communicating to others is super important in my opinion. And that is why uh, I joined Toastmasters when I did, and we were having a brief conversation about that before we started recording. The, uh, I mean, in terms of the, the skills that we're talking about here today, give us an idea, like for somebody who is starting from zero, who's never done anything before, that like a client that comes to you and wants to improve, what are what is the process that you bring people through? Yeah, there are three key areas we need to think about if we want to improve our ability to pitch and present and communicate ideas. And, you, and you're right, Gavin, it doesn't have to be a big on-stage conference keynote. Three key areas, which are the three key arts of presenting. Message, visuals, if we need them, and delivery. So first of all, the and that's the most important area, we need to be able to develop a compelling and captivating message. Without that, without a story that resonates with the audience, nothing else helps. So that's the biggest area. The second area is the visual side of things. And this is when normally like in business, we, we normally work with business presenters. So we often use a presentation tool like PowerPoint. It could be any other tool. It doesn't make any difference. Now, we don't have to use slides all the time. But when we do, we need to avoid the typical death by PowerPoint with lots yeah. of text and bullet points. It doesn't work. We can talk about it later if, if there is an interest. So that's the second area. We need to be able to use the presentation tool as an amplifier of a message if we need it. And then the third area is our delivery skills. So we have a great message, great, but that's not enough. We also need to be able to deliver a message in a way that's comfortable and convincing. Because say, for example, that you have a great message, but if the way you deliver your message is not very effective, it's a bit like having a Ferrari without knowing how to drive. It, it doesn't really make sense, right? If we've got that great car, which is your great message, we also need to make sure how to drive it. We need to make sure that we know how to drive it. We need to make sure that we know how to deliver a message in a way that's comfortable and convincing. So three key areas, message, visuals, only when it's required and delivery. Brilliant. Yeah, those are the ones actually that totally res resonate with me because anytime I'm doing a presentation, I find it a lot easier with visuals um, because you 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 capture, I think it's, it's kind of a mental link between the message that you're giving and what people are seeing visually with their eyes. And um, so I tend to do an awful lot of PowerPoint, but like you say, I try to make it um, not full of text and, and make it a sort of something that is 
a little bit more easy to the eye and just something that connects people with the idea or the message that you're kind of passing on. Um, in terms of, I mean, actionable steps, like let's take us through, first of all, the message, like how do you come up with a good message? I mean, I mean, people kind of might sort of think, okay, I've got a great idea. That's what's my message. Have you got any ideas or thoughts on, on how to create a good sort of message that, that carries across to the person who's, who's receiving it? Sure. So the first thing, uh, and that's connected to one of the key mistakes I see. One of the key mistakes is that people jump into the presentation tool way too early in the process of creating a presentation. So a lot of people start the process by just opening up PowerPoint and put, putting together some, some slides. Whereas before that, we need to do a few other things. And apart from, of course, super important knowing the audience and making sure that you have a, a good and action-oriented objective, but connected to your question, Gavin, first of all, what we need to do is we need to brainstorm. We need to brainstorm effectively so that we can identify lots of interesting ideas that then we can include in the content of the presentation. And for example, one of the things you can do, what we do with our clients the, in a brainstorming session, we have a brainstorming technique that we call ATR, which stands for Audience Transformation Roadmap, or ATR. We need to transform the audience with our, with our presentation. And essentially, what you want to do is you want to ask yourselves a few questions, both before the presentation and thinking about what will happen after the presentation. So the questions are, okay, today, before the presentation, what does the audience know about my subject, about my topic? What do they know? Or what is it that they don't know about it, if it's, if it's relevant? So these are the facts, okay? Which is important, but it's not enough. We also need to go down. Another question, what do they believe? What do they feel today in relation to our subjects? These are not the facts. These are the beliefs, the feelings. And then also, what are they doing today in relation to your subject that you may want to change? And then and you come up with a few ideas. You write them down. Then you repeat the same process, but thinking about after the presentation. So after the presentation, what do you want your audience to do? What actions do they need to take? And then... What beliefs do they need to have? What do they need to believe? What do they need to feel so that they take those actions? And then what do they need to know? And so this is a way for you to start thinking about not only what the audience needs to know, because yes, you want to share some information, but that's not the only thing. If all you want to do is share some information, make, make a phone call, send them an email, there is no need to give a presentation. But that allows you to come up with messages and ideas that are also focused on what the audience needs to believe, feel, and do. So that's the first thing. And then once we've got lots of ideas that potentially we can include in the content of the presentation, it's a matter of translating those ideas into a clear storyline, a clear structure. So you need to be able to capture the audience's attention at the very beginning. You need to communicate your key messages, not a thousand messages, maybe three key ideas in, in, effect, in an effective way. You may want to, depending on how much time you have, say that you've got three key messages, you can and you should support each message with some supporting points. And that's, for example, where you want to include your stories, your analogies, your examples, your anecdotes, because that's what people will remember. 
And then a, a punchline, a conclusion, a call to action, making it very clear to your audience what was your point and why they should care about it. So again, this is very high level, but that's the kind of the step-by-step -step process that we take our clients through for them to be able to develop a compelling message. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. That's how I, but that's a lot of the, the thoughts that kind of go through my head when I, I've I've become quite um, familiar with the, the you know pr presenting speeches and things from my Toastmasters kind of stuff, and I used to you know, spend days thinking about it and deliberating and like, what am I going to write about? What am I going to speak about? And, and uh, over time with practice, it actually becomes much, much easier. And I've gotten to the point now where, you know, 30 minutes before the speech, I can actually sit down and write the speech um, and actually just go straight into delivering it without a huge amount of preparation or anything like that. But it's amazing how when you start out that that process, it takes an awful lot of, of you know, it's nerve wracking that early stage. And when people realize that it's just a matter of sitting down and practicing and practicing and putting what you've mentioned there into practice on a regular basis, you can actually make it quite easy and enjoyable. And you can go out and just do this kind of quickly without too much, too much work. Um, in terms of the presentation or the visuals side, I, I'm curious how you, um, how you work with visuals, because that is the point. Uh, I mean, your message, I write down stuff and that is my message. And then when I'm coming up with the visuals, a lot of the time I'll put visuals in that kind of, you know, do connect the thought with the visual. But sometimes I use I use a, the, the PowerPoint or you know, the presentation device as just a way of reminding me of what my next talking point is, because it can be difficult. I don't want to look like I'm reading from a script all the time. I want to kind of just sound natural and kind of flow. So tell us, you know, the process for visuals that you have. Yeah. So what's important is that we need to start thinking about slides, not as something which is there for us to remember what to say next, but for the audience. A presentation is always for the audience, always the audience's presentation, not ours. And the reason why we want to keep our slides simple and visual is because even from, if you look at how our brain works from a communication perspective, the written text is processed in exactly the same part of the brain that processes the spoken text. What that means is that reading and listening are two conflicting activities for our brain. People can't read and listen at the same time. So, we need to keep our slides, as you said, Gavin, super simple visual. So what we do, for example, what I like to do for my own presentations, I have two, once I have my, it could be a script or it could be some talking points, depending on what works for you. There is no right, good or, or, or bad approach. You could have a script or some talking points. I, I include that in one column. And then I have a second column with some slide ideas. So I go through my content, again, either the script or the talking points, and then I ask myself, okay, does it make sense to, il to illustrate this particular message on a slide? If the answer is yes, and only if the answer is yes, then I start thinking about, okay, how, how could I illustrate it? And that, that could be just an image that's connect. It's important that when you use visuals, they have to be connected to the message you want to get across. It could be just a keyword, a big word on the screen. It could be a huge number. That's it. And sometimes, though, the answer is no. And if the answer is no, then we don't have to have any every something on the slide 
all the time? Sometimes the answer is no. And if it is, then we can still give a presentation, we can share our messages even without anything on, on the screen. Now, it could be these, a simple Word document or a paper with two columns, or it could be post-it notes. For example, you could have one post-it note per slide. So you again, you go through your message. We need to start always with the message. It depends yes. on the message. But if the message tells us that we it might make sense to illustrate it, then you have a few post-it notes on a table or on a whiteboard on the wall, and then one post-it note per idea or per slide. And it could be as simple as that. And then once we've got the kind of storyboard, it's just a matter of implementing what we already have on our mind into your preferred presentation tool, which could be PowerPoint, for example. Right. What would another tool be? Um, I mean, there's... It Apple yeah. Notes and things like that, yeah. Yeah, it could be Keynote, for example. If you're a Mac user, you may want to use Keynote. There are there's Prezi, you have Canva now. There are many presentation tools, but here is the thing. It really doesn't matter. You can create fantastic presentations. And I'm talking about from a design perspective, fantastic mm. presentations and bad presentations, regardless of the tool you use. What matters are the fundamental principles. The tool and the technology and what you can do within each tool will change. But what will never change are the fundamental principles of design. If we get those right, then it's just a matter of applying those principles in your preferred tool. But it really doesn't matter what tool we use. Right, yeah. Um, okay, and then the last one you mentioned was delivery. Tell us, I mean, that some of some of your actionable tips for our for our listeners on, on delivery. Okay, so actionable tips. Delivery is really about apart from making sure that we are prepared and that we rehearse, and we can talk about it later if you're interested. Again, apart from that, which is the most important thing for us to be able to deliver a message in an effective way you asked for some practical tips. Now, from a delivery perspective, we want to be able to connect with the audience. It's all about making a strong connection. And so there are a number of things you can consider for you to be able to make that connection. One is, for example, what you do with your eyes, eye contact. You want to make good eye contact when, when presenting. Now, the, the general principle applies all the time. We want to make good eye contact, but we also need to distinguish, do we need to give a face-to-face -face presentation or do we need to give an online presentation? Because if you want to give, say you mentioned at the very beginning, it doesn't have to be a big on-stage conference keynote. Maybe you are presenting in front of three people in a boardroom. Now, what you want to do there, if you really want to have good eye contact, ideally, you should look at each person in the room for a complete sentence or for just for a few seconds. Whereas the mistake we, I see is that often, whether we are aware of it or not, we let our eyes fly around the room way too quickly. We are afraid of making good eye contact. So you want to look at each person in the room for a complete sentence. And only once you finish the sentence or after two or three seconds, then you can change the person you are you are looking at. If it's a big, bigger room, same principle, but instead of looking at each person in the room, you can look at each area of, of the room. So that's what you want to do face-to-face. -face. Now, online, what do we need to do? Well, we need to look at the camera. 
that's where the audience is. Whereas most people look at our, like, for example, now I'm looking at myself on the screen. Now I'm looking yeah. at you, Gavin. And, and, and that's what most people do, because it's uncomfortable if we're not used to it, to, to look at the camera. But again, it's that presentational hours. So that's how you make good eye contact online. I could, I could continue, Gavin, for example, with body language and gestures. But first, I want to give the ball back to you, just in case that there's yeah. something. <laughs> no, no, I actually, I think you've done very well, because it's, it's something, obviously, with Toastmasters, for me, I, I do a weekly or every, every week or so I would do a meeting. And because of that, this is all very natural because last, in last year, COVID came along. Prior to that, there were, we were meeting every two weeks and it would be in-person meetings. So we'd be sitting in a room, we'd be visually communicating, we'd be standing up and talking to the kind of other members in the group. Then COVID came along and the entire world moved to virtual you know, online meetings. And what's been really interesting is people adapting to that because they're used to the room and then suddenly they're on camera. And I, I see it all the time. People mistakenly look at their picture instead of at the camera. And, and then, you know, you don't feel like you have that connection with the person. And as always, as we were chatting, I mean, our listeners won't be, be aware of this, but I was, I was saying, he knows he's looking straight at me. <laughs> so it's good that you've, uh, you've picked that up as well. Um, in terms of the the other stuff that you kind of you have in mind, uh, give us a couple of examples. Yeah, so I'll give you another example. Hand gestures. Hand gestures are very can be very useful for you to make a strong connection with the audience, for you to show your passion for your subject, your enthusiasm for it. And one of the questions I get asked all the time is, "What should I do with my hands?" Because when you have a conversation with a friend, you never think about what you do with your hands. But as soon as we start thinking about giving a presentation, then these two things seem often seems to be taking a, a life of their own. You know, we don't know what to do with them. Now, there are three key things to consider and then a difference between face-to-face -face and face -to and, and online presentations. Now, there are three key things you can do with your hands. One is nothing. You don't, you don't move them, you don't use them, which is one option. The second thing is you move them, but without intention, without thinking about what happens. And that's another option. The third option is that you move your hands with intention or with purpose, which means that you connect your gesture to the message you are communicating. For example, now, I don't know if people will be watching these on video as well, but now I'm, I'm giving an example like this for you, I Gavin. See, I see yeah. your hands, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's an example of an intentional hand movement. Now, the key, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anybody to always use intentional hand movements because otherwise it would be too much. It would be fake. We want to be natural and authentic, but the secret is to find the right balance between these three options, which means that within a presentation, sometimes we do nothing. We have a rest position. We don't have to use our body, our hands all the time. Sometimes we move our hands without thinking about what happens, without connection to the message. And then an exercise I encourage everybody to do is to plan, say that you have an important presentation coming up, depending on how long it is, but you could plan three to five intentional hand movements. So you go back to your content and as you rehearse, which is important to rehearse, 
you can think about, okay, what could I do with my body, with my hands, which is linked to the message I'm getting across. And if you do that with practice again, you should be able to find the right balance. Just one more thing, and then I finish, <laughs> is online, just a little tip. We need to keep our hands just a little bit higher than we would normally do in a face-to-face -face presentation or conversation. Now, again, I don't know if people are, will be watching us, but now I'm keeping think, my hands. Yeah, I think I will um, publish this interview because of the visuals. I think it's important that we actually have this um, for, the, for the benefit. So I'll put it on my YouTube channel when we've done this. Perfect. So, so you see now I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my face to face. It would be strange if I kept my hands here, but online again, as long as we don't do it too much, but the audience needs to see them. So they need to be within the view of the camera. So we need to keep them a little bit higher. So that's another distinction. So you see, that's why I meant before Gavin, the print from a delivery perspective, the principles are exactly the same. You want to use your body. You want to make good eye contact, but the way you do it differs depending on whether it's a face-to-face -face presentation or online. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's it's important. Um, Andrea, that, that's been really helpful, and I can totally relate, relate to everything that you've spoken about there. Something I'd like to go back to is you mentioned that you've um, worked with 500 TEDx talkers, and that is interesting to me. I'm just curious, is there... Is there a path to, to becoming a TEDx speaker? Is there kind of, how would you recommend somebody goes about that? And is there a type of message that is received by a TEDx sort of, you know, conferences more so than other messages? Yeah. So often we get asked, can you get me on a TED stage? And unfortunately, my answer is no, I can't. This is not. So what, what happens is that if you have a TEDx talk coming up, then if you want to make sure that you get it right from a message, visuals and delivery perspective, then we can help you. But we don't we don't find a, a TEDx speaking engagement for, for people. However, going back to your question, now TED is interested in powerful ideas, ideas worth spreading, yeah. inspiring ideas. And it never has to be about selling something, selling yourself or selling your idea. Or let's say, in a way, we are a presentation is always about selling. So I can correct myself, but it's not a commercial yeah. sale. So it has to be an idea worth spreading. It has to be, especially now, if you think about what's going on, often TED and TEDx events, which are these independently organized TED events, are always looking for ideas that can also tackle some of the biggest challenges that we have. If you think about things like climate change, the impact on the environment or diversity and inclusion, all of these like big and hot topics, if you've got a message which is connected to some of these biggest challenges and topics that we need to consider today in 2021, then the process is for you. You can apply. So you can go through, you can go to TED.com and there is a TEDx section for independent, independently organized TED events. And you can submit your application. What happens is that if they find it interesting, normally you will be called to give that presentation as a test because maybe they have 10 spots available and there are 20 applicants. It really depends on the context. 
But often mm. what happens is you are asked to give a presentation, they will make a decision. So if somebody has a message to share, I would encourage them to submit their application because you never know. Sometimes it's just a matter of asking for something and then you end up being on the t- on, on a TED stage. TEDx, you never yeah. know. It's What's fascinating is I, I understand, I've, I've listened to um, Simon Sinek. And uh, I mean, obviously everyone who's in this business would know who Simon Sinek is. And my understanding is that his first ever talk was actually a TEDx talk. Yes. And uh, and he has gone on to make, uh, you know, have millions and millions of followers of, of his message. And his message is quite a powerful one, you know, start with why, his, bu- his book and, and all that. Uh, but it's fascinating that his kind of fame has come about from from the TEDx talk, which is is kind of, you know, the step down from the main TED stage that everyone knows about. So that is interesting. Um, Andrea, I wanted to ask you, uh, we've talked about best practice, but can you tell us some of the do not do or do not make this mistake? Uh, can you take us through some of the things that people do that they're maybe not aware of that does not work from a yes. presentation point of view? I'd be, I'd be happy to. So some of the key mistakes, the number one mistake, Gavin, is that we think that when, when we give a presentation, we think that it's our presentation. It's not. It's always the audience's presentation, which means that the very first thing we need to do in preparation for any presentation is to start with the audience. We need to analyze. We need to understand the audience, their needs, and the context as much as possible before we open up PowerPoint, before we even think about what we want to say, because that depends on the audience. For example, the, the, a, a technique we use when we work with a client is we take them through what we call the ABC of preparation, audience, burning needs, and context. So it's a series of questions that you can ask yourselves for you to make sure that you know as much as possible about the audience, who are they, their burning needs, what do they really need, what do they expect from your presentation, and also the context as well. For example, how much time do you have? How many people will be in front of you? Is it online? Is it face-to-face? That's that's the context. That's the first mistake. Don't start with PowerPoint. Don't start with you with your message. Start with the audience. The second mistake is that we think that our objective when we give a presentation is just to share some information. Whereas that's not the objective of a presentation. As I said before, if that's your only objective, great, but there is no need to give a presentation. You want to inform the audience, give them a document, give them a coffee, give them some time so that they can drink the coffee and read your document, and then you share some ideas. You answer the, you answer the questions, much more effective. With a presentation, you want to transform the audience. You want to change something, either in what they believe, in what they feel, or in what they do. You want them to take action. Persuade. Persuade, motivate, inspire. That's the objective of a presentation. Another mistake is, as I said before, that we jump into the presentation tool way too early, whereas first we need to, after the audience, then we need to start brainstorming, as we talked about before, Gavin. We need to brainstorm to identify our key messages, we need to translate our key messages into a clear structure. The other mistake, and I'm going high level as quickly as possible, Gavin. The other mistake is that when we end up on a presentation tool like PowerPoint, 
we use too much text and bullet points, whereas we need to use them, we need to keep our slides simple and visual because that's what works from a, from a presentation design and communication perspective. And one more mistake is that people don't prepare themselves. They don't rehearse. And they, and they leave it to chance. And what happens is that it's a bit like motor racing. In motor racing, it's not because you have the fastest car that you're going to win the race. The performance of the driver is just as important. Racing drivers need to, for them, there is a lot of preparation, physical and mental preparation. Now, for speakers, it's the same thing. Say, for example, Gavin, that you have a great message. And say that you've also illustrated your message nicely. Now, you may be tempted to say that you are now ready to get up in front of your audience and deliver your message. Maybe you are, maybe not. So I would always encourage people, regardless of whether they are learners, memorizers, or improvisers, because that's, these are the two types of speakers that I see, but I would always encourage you to rehearse a number of times. And most people don't do that, especially in business, and that's another mistake I see. Actually, I've got a an interesting um, uh, kind of explainer to that, and it's uh, I can remember years and years ago. This goes back. This will show my age. It goes back to I think it was when Bill Clinton became president of the United States, and he had uh, his speech prepared, and he had been rehearsing. And people were sort of saying, "Come on, Bill, you've got a um, auto cue." you know, up there. So what the hell are you rehearsed for? You can just kind of deliver it. But he was insistent and he kept on going like that. And then on the day of his inauguration, he's standing up there, you know, putting his hand in the Bible and uh, about to give his big, powerful speech. And the teleprompter was not working and it was out of order. And so he went on to deliver his entire speech from memory just because he had rehearsed it so many times. And if you had been waiting for that, you know, prompting and all that kind of stuff, it would have been a complete disaster. So can just... I, Gavin, that, that's a great example. Can I, can I mention a similar example, but which didn't go well because of lack of preparation? So uh, you might have seen a few years ago, it was big in the public speaking world. Michael Bay, who is the um, is a Hollywood movie director. So he knows a lot about what he's talking about. And you can, you can find this on YouTube. If you type Michael Bay, I think it's one of the first things that come up anyway. What happens is it wasn't even a presentation. He had to come on stage and answer a few questions from, from somebody, from the interviewer. It was like a panel conversation. And same as Bill Clinton, he was, he wanted to use a teleprompter, but the difference there was that he relied 100% on the teleprompter, on technology. And of course, technology failed. And by the way, the attitude we should always have, especially now, even more online, but also face-to-face, -face, is that if technology can fail, it probably will. So that's why we need to be prepared. So he comes on stage and, and then the teleprompter fails. And so he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. And eventually, after a few seconds, he decides to get off the stage. So it's the, the typical, we call it fight or flight response. And he decides to fly to get off the stage. And the lesson for us there is that it doesn't really matter whether you are Michael Bay, Bill Clinton. It doesn't matter what your role is, how much you know about your subject especially in certain high-stake presentations, if you are not prepared, the body always wins. 
your body, what happens here, if we are not prepared, the body always wins. And yeah. that's why it's important to be prepared. Panic oh. takes over. <laughs> yeah, I can actually relate. My first, the first time I ever gave a talk was a friend's, uh, a best man speech for a wedding. And this goes back about 20 years now. And um, I, I was a, a groomsman for the, uh, you know, just there as a kind of guy that dresses up in the, in the, in the suit and everything like that. And on the day before the wedding, so we were, we were having some drinks the night before and he turns to me and he says, Oh, by the way, my brother who was the best man has completely chickened out and he's not going to be giving the speech tomorrow. I'd like you to give it Gavin. And this is 12 hours before, you know, we're actually presenting the speech. So I just, the, the, the blood drained out of my body and I kind of uh, thought to myself, oh my God, you know. So that was the end of my evening and I spent the rest of the night swatting over, creating a speech and everything. And the next day, the sense of panic. Um, now, I've, I kind of, I lightened up a little bit because you're amongst friends and I had a couple of guys there that were kind of giggling and laughing. So that kind of makes it a bit easier, but it was that sense of, totally unprepared and totally you know that feeling that you say fight or flight i was very close to, to running off the stage as well um andrea that's been really helpful um i'm conscious of time i just thought um from the for the for anyone who'd like to connect with you and maybe sort of look into the services that you provide can you give us some of your resources what's the best way for people to find you Sure, a couple of things. The main social media channel that I use is LinkedIn, so people can find me there. Our website is ideasonstage.com. And for those who are interested, then I'm very happy to provide access for free to a book. So I don't know whether I did it or I can do it. I don't remember now, Gavin. I can send you a link. If where... you send a link, I'll include it in the show notes. Yeah. Fantastic. So for those who are watching here, the orange book that you see behind me, this was written recently and published by a colleague of mine, Phil Wicknell, Business Presentation Revolution. And you can find it on Amazon. But for your listeners, then in the link in the show notes, they can get free access to the PDF copy. Now, of course, I'm biased, but I do think that it's a very good book, Business Presentation Revolution. And, and that's one thing they can do. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Thanks very much, Andrea. Um, final bit of advice. Just um, I've, I often ask this question of my guests and it's, you know, knowing now what you know, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Uh, looking back, if you had the ability to communicate. Yeah, I, the advice, and I love the question, Gavin, <laughs> the advice I would give myself has nothing to do with presentations and communication, but it has a lot to do with business in general. And what I would say to myself is start earlier. So I started my business and I could have done it earlier in the process. So what I did was I went to university, which I think I would do anyway. And then for a few years, I worked for somebody else while working for something. So that was my process. It worked for me. But while working for somebody else, I, I started running my business. It was part time. So for me, it was a very gradual process. But if I were to go back, I would start the, the business 100% earlier. 
So not go for the side hustle kind of route. Go jump in if you can. I think the side hustle was really, really good, but because I had no other choice, I was working for somebody else. But what I what I would do now if I were to go back after university, I would give it a try, start a business 100% and, and see how it goes. Now, of course, if you are working for somebody else, but you are motivated to do your own thing, then a side hustle is, is the, the, the only thing you can do. And it is the thing you have to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the, the it's a good point what you make there, and uh, and I can I can relate. And a lot of the people that I know, the listeners that are, they're often asking me questions along these lines. And the reason I think that it's start earlier as well is because the 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 earlier you start, often the less complications and the less responsibilities that you have if you're if you have a couple of kids in school and you've got a job and you're kind of bringing in a a regular salary it can be much much harder to sever that link and go out and start your own whereas if you had done that before you had those responsibilities it can be an awful lot easier to just jump in and get started and you're going to make mistakes but you're going to learn from those mistakes quicker and uh, and you know Gavin on that point the the moment when I decided to to basically fire myself and, and start <laughs> my my business is when the I was working for a big very big company here in London and they they asked me they said we we want you to to become one of our managers and directors so on the one hand that would <laughs> that was that was great but then made me say no wait a second if I say yes to this opportunity. I will never go back because yep, as you yeah. said, it, it, it will then the the conditions and the benefits are way are so high that it's, it, it, it would have become even harder to to get started, to launch a business, which is hard in itself. Yes. And so that's why I say, you know what, thank you very much. I think it's the right opportunity to, to do my own thing. That's a great thing. Yeah, it, it takes some bravery to do that as well, because it, often when you're asked to kind of step up to that higher level, the ego gets a you know nice stroke and you're kind of like, oh, you know, I like the fact that I've been asked this and, and stuff. And it can it can send you off on the wrong path. And you can look back then five years later and go, why didn't I start this when I should have? Andrea, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm going to leave it there and uh, wish uh, as as you've given the, the details for people to find you. Um, look forward to catching up with you again soon thank you very much Kevin all the best thanks for tuning in to another episode of behind the facade if you enjoyed this or found it useful please take a moment now to leave a review on iTunes or indeed share it with a friend if you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes please connect with me via the Facebook group behind the facade community alternatively send me a direct message on social media. My handle, as always, is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of the projects and things I'm working on by joining my tribe, adding your name and email over at gavinjgallagher.com. That's all for now, guys. See you back here next week.